Two weeks ago in the opening talk of the series, we were introduced to Generation Zombie and Generation Breakout. It all happened when the Israelites, or if you grew up in church, the children of Israel had been brought out of Egypt. They had been slaves there, but God had supernaturally brought them out with 10 plagues, got them across the Red Sea, got them into the wilderness, which was in between Egypt and the Promised Land, and he got them right on the brink of destiny. For hundreds of years, God had been promising to give this young nation their own land. And at this very moment of destiny, something very bad happened. And we were introduced to it the first week. And we learned that what happened there is what separated the zombies from the breakouts. What, what it was, they got right on the brink of, of the promised land in a place called Kadesh Barnea. And the people pressured Moses to send 12 spies over into the land. There were 12 tribes in Israel, and so there was a leader selected from each of the 12 tribes to go over and perform a reconnaissance and come back and give a report. When the 12 spies returned with the report, they were agreed on three material facts. All 12 spies made the following report to Moses. It is a good land. It's a productive land, but there are giants there. All 12 spies agreed on that. But it was on that final point that the zombies separated from the breakouts. Because 10 of the spies said, we went over there and we looked at the giants and we forgot about God. That isn't what they said, but they might as well have said it. They basically said, we can't do what God says we can do. And at that point, we learned the mantra of Generation Zombie. Generation Zombie says, we believe God is wrong. And the 10 spies came back and said, we don't care what God says, we can't go into the land. And they spread that poison to the whole people so that, I don't know how large they were, somewhere between one and a half and three million people. But they spread it, and after a while, it caught on like wildfire, and the whole people begin to moan and panic and say, we can't do what God says we can do. And then, of course, we met the founding members of Generation Breakout, a couple of the spies named Joshua and Caleb, who went over into the land and said, yes, we saw the giants, but we saw something bigger than the giants. We saw God there. It's a great land, and we believe God keeps his word, and we believe God is right. From that moment on, the whole crowd was separated into breakouts and zombies. The reason I call them zombies is God said, here's what's going to happen now. All of you who were too scared to go into the land, you're going to wander around in the desert until you die. And I can't take the other generation in until all the old people are dead. He said, oh, everybody over 20, because you were the ones who complained, he said, everyone over 20 is going to die in the wilderness. And everybody under 20, plus the founding members of Generation Breakout, by the way, don't you love to see older people who are still cranking for God? You know, I love the fact that John, and I haven't said this in the other services, but it's still on my mind. In the book of Revelation, John got banished to the island of Patmos because he was giving the Romans too much trouble. They were tired of him preaching about God. And so they banished him to the island of Patmos to shut him up where God gave him the book of Revelation. You know how old John was at that point? He was pastoring the church of Ephesus. He was 90 years old. I just love the Joshua and Caleb's of life, who that the years don't make them old. They just get they just like, you know, they just get better and better. Well, anyway, there's your, there's your division. Generation zombie, they said, we believe God is wrong. And generation breakout, they said, we believe God is right. Last week, we saw the second stage of generation breakout because it isn't enough to believe that God is right. You have to be willing to, like Caleb did, say God is right. Oh, there's a big one today because, you know, there's always this, well, I sort of have my own private feelings, but if I say it, I could be ostracized. Not breakouts. Breakouts understand if you believe God is right, you say God is right. But here's what you must understand for this all-important message you're about to hear. 38 years have passed. 38 years of going in circles, wandering in the wilderness. And now Moses comes along after 38 years, and he makes what had to be the understatement of the era. 
This is in Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 1. He said, we wandered around in the region of Mount Seir for a long time. That sounds like one statement, but it's three. And you and I are going to need to embrace this message today, so we need to parse this and get it right. Think about three things that Moses said. He said, we wandered around, which is tantamount to saying we went in circles. In the region of Mount Seir, in one place. We wandered around in circles in one place, which means we were stuck. And then, number three, for a long time. Is there anybody who's beginning to feel that today? You're going in circles in one place, you're stuck. And now you look back and it isn't just days that have passed, but months and maybe even years have passed. And Moses said that to his people, to the people of God. You know, there's a verse, (laughs) I sort of laugh when I read it, but I don't know why I laugh, it's too painful. In Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 2, it says, normally it takes 11 days, but 40 years later. Think about that. Normally it takes 11 days. Have you ever had an experience in your life that really shouldn't have been as difficult as it became? And yet that's what happened. What I see here is the discouragement of missed opportunity. Normally it takes 11 days, but 40 years later. Listen, guys, I hate to leave money on the table. If I'm doing a deal, if I buy a car and I think I've left money on the table, it will keep me awake for a couple of nights. But let me tell you what keeps me awake for years, leaving opportunity on the table. I hate leaving destiny on the table. If I have a sense that there was a golden moment, there was a a, a moment that, like Shakespeare wrote, it has to be seized at the flood, and I let it go, it will eat on me for, for decades that I've left opportunity on the table. And that's exactly what happened with the people in Israel for those 38 years. Oh, and this too. I did the math on this, and I figured out that probably 70, they had 70 funerals every day, (laughs) because not only do they have the depression of wandering in circles in one place, burning up time, the only thing they were engaged in doing, as far as I can tell, was having funeral services. And 70 holes is a lot of holes to punch in the desert every day. (laughs) Moses said, Deuteronomy 2.1, we wandered around for a long time. Anybody feeling that today? If you've been going in circles in one place for a long time, chances are you're asking yourself some questions. Or maybe you're asking God questions, which would be even better. You may be asking questions like, will it always be this way? Or is this the way it's supposed to be? You know, if if you've wandered in a wilderness for a long time, you can actually begin to believe that's your life. Is this the way it's supposed to be? Or if you have my personality, here's the question that you're asking. Is this the way it has to be? Do I have to wander in the wilderness Or could I get out of this wilderness and really begin to experience living? Well, the good news is that you can break out. And here is the thing. God has four things to say to all breakouts. And since I think New Springers are breakout people, we're all breakout generation people, we need to hear those things today. And guys, I'm going to tell you, it's going to be like drinking out of a fire hose. But all this is great stuff. And you need to understand, I don't say it's great stuff because I'm preaching it. It's great stuff for me. I'm just going from the Word of God. I was kidding my son, Stephen. He's 21. He's up in the booth right now. And we were talking in between the services, and I said, Stephen, you know, I'm like, I'm like a Cessna 180 pilot just flying over the, the Flint Hills. I just follow the contours of the Word of God. And that's what I'm going to do today, and this is going to speak to us in a great way. So if you want to break out, God has four things to say to you, and we're going to start with the first one in Deuteronomy chapter 2 in verse 2. Then at last the Lord said to me, look at this, You've been wandering around long enough. You've been wandering around long enough. You have wandered around in this wilderness long enough. Can you hear that? A few moments ago, we were being led wonderfully in worship, and you sang the song, Holy Spirit, come and fill this, fill this place, fill this atmosphere with your presence. 
And, and if you, you need to just feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. And God's saying to you and to me, you've wandered around long enough. You've been here enough days. You've been here enough months. You've been here enough years. You've wandered around long enough. Now, when I grew up in church, I heard a lot of sermons. And one of the things that frustrated me was when a minister used metaphors, and I didn't understand what he meant practically. So let's take that wandering in the wilderness. Let's make it practical. What does it mean to wander? To wander there means basically to to exist without living, to use up time, to burn up time. And a wilderness, what do you think about when you think about a desert? What do you not expect to find in a desert? You don't expect to find fruit. You don't expect to find lush produce. See, that's the, a wilderness is a place of fruitlessness or a place of unproductivity. So to wander in the wilderness, and that, let me give you a, a definition that I think is a good one. It's burning up time not doing what we were destined to do. It's burning up time but not seeing the kind of productivity that we want to come out of our lives. That's what it is to wander in the wilderness. And God says, long enough. But before we can truly embrace that message, we have to be honest with ourselves about something. We have to ask, what is our personal wilderness? And that's where, again, we're going to need the Holy Spirit because I don't know what your wilderness is. I know what mine are. But for some of us, I'm going to give you a few ideas. It could be a situation that rules your life. If there's 7,000 people here this weekend, there's one thing I know. There's 7,000 situations. Every person here has got some situation going. It'd be interesting if we could just sit around and listen to each other talk about situations that we have. Everybody's got a situation. There's something in your life that's not working the way it's supposed to. But here's the thing. If we're not careful, that situation can begin to define our lives. And we stop living because of the situation. Let me ask you a question. This will help you frame this. Have you ever met somebody and they have a problem... And yet when you hear it, you think, well, I have problems like that too. Everybody's got problems like that. But it's like, it's just all they think about and all they talk about. When you see them coming, you almost hate to ask them how they are because they'll tell you, you know? And it's like, you, don't you understand everybody's got these problems? On the other hand, let me ask you another question. Have you ever met somebody who had a lot of problems and a lot of situations, and yet they roll right on? It's like nothing is wrong. Those are the people that I just want to get close to. I, I know somebody today. And he's got health problems, he's got relationship problems, he's got financial problems, he's got all kinds of problems, and yet he's full of joy, and he's always concerned about other people. And I want to say to him, don't you know you have all these problems? But see, they don't, they don't control his life. And what can happen to us is we can have a single situation, and that single situation colors everything that happens to us, and we start wandering in the wilderness of a situation that rules our life. Here's the second thing. Sometimes it's a wilderness of a personal flaw that we refuse to deal with. Ooh, there's a wilderness. How about the wilderness of anger? You know anybody living there? You know, they could really be living. They have gifts. They have abilities. They could be doing extraordinary things. But anger keeps trapping them. And by the way, anger isn't just rage. Some people have that frosty, silent anger where they shut down. But anger issues can be a wilderness. Um, how about stubbornness? I've got friends who are in the wilderness of stubbornness. If they would just not be so stubborn, they would find solutions, but they just keep wandering around in a dry, unproductive place because of stubbornness. How about the wilderness of denial or the wilderness of excess? Here's a big one. <clears throat> Do you know anybody who's in the wilderness of a dead dream? Now, here's the thing. When I talk about a dead dream, let's be honest about something. You know, I, I said this to a, I was speaking in North Carolina on a Monday night. I thought maybe 500 people would be there, and that would be huge. There were like 2,500 people. We had an extraordinary service in Charlotte. 
But you know how I'm, I'm a train wreck on stage. You know, I'll say things without thinking about it. And before I realized it, I said to this audience of people I didn't know, I said, you know, I'm 59 years old, and I've lived a dream life, and yet almost nothing has worked out the way I thought it was going to. When I was dating Mary Alice in college, I told her one day, I'll go anywhere God sends me except Kansas. <laughs> and yet I can't imagine any place I would love more than Kansas. I had to be in Beverly Hills last year. I came home here. I said, what's it like? I said, well, it's not Andover. <laughs> and that's just how I felt. You can have it. I'm glad to get back to Andover. You know, I, I, so my life hasn't gone the way I thought it was going to go. I'm not talking about that, though. I'm talking about, did you have a dream? Maybe you wanted to be with somebody. Maybe you wanted a particular career. Maybe there's a university you wanted to get into. You couldn't get into the field, and you were locked out of the field or whatever. Just something that did not work in your life. I love Charles Dickens. You know, we did Christmas Carol last year. And, and I love the, Dick, the characters that Dickens, and crea Dickens created. And one of my, I don't really like her necessarily, it's just she's interesting to me. In Great Expectations, if any of you read that in Western Lit in college, or you read it in high school, you know that in Great Expectations, there's a woman, an old woman who lives in a house. It's a very creepy place. And she's dressed in a tattered wedding dress. And on the cake is this molded wedding cake that's been there for years. See what happened to her. She was engaged to a man. And he not only swindled her, at 20 minutes to 9 on her wedding day, he sent her a letter saying that he was jilting her. And her life stopped right then. In fact, in Dickens' novel, in Dickens' story, she had all of the clocks stopped at 20 minutes to 9. Do you know anybody like that? Dickens' character is fictitious, but do you know anybody who's, whose clocks all stopped when life quit working the way they wanted to? It could be the wilderness of a dead dream. Well, there are a couple of other wildernesses that I want to point out. I call these the great paralyzers. There's the wilderness of entitlement. Entitlement says, I'm going to wait for somebody to make life work for me. I want to tell you what, this is toxic. This is the reason why a lot of marriages don't work, is instead of wanting to be the right person, they're wanting to find the right person. That's the sense of entitlement. It is somebody is going to come into my life and make all my dreams come true. That's a wilderness, and you'll wander forever in that one. Here's the one that gets me. How about the wilderness of fear? Because it's like, well, I, I want great things, but I'm afraid to try them because if I do, maybe I will fail. Now, I don't know what your wilderness is. I may have gotten close. I may have not gotten into your zip code. But here's the thing about wildernesses. Whether you created it or somebody else created it or half and half, if you're part of Generation Breakout, you weren't meant to live in a wilderness. Wildernesses were never meant to be your destiny. If you're in a wilderness today, all of us are going to spend some time there. But let's recognize the fact that God is teaching us you were never meant to live there. In fact, God says, you've been there long enough. Can we hear that today? I, I don't know if I've got time to bring up. This is a side point, and it really doesn't add to the direction of the message, but I just have a hard time overlooking this. You know, in these 38 years when the people were wandering around, though, do you remember, do you realize that God took care of them? He still fed them. He still gave them water. He still gave them shelter in the daytime. He gave them warmth at night. Even the zombies, even generation zombie. God took care of them. Is there anybody here? Could we just have a moment of gratitude for those of us who wandered in our private wildernesses? Couldn't we just at least have a moment of gratitude in which we could say, thank you, God, for not abandoning me in my wilderness? I was in a wilderness. In my case, I made it. And yet, God, you still fed me. You still cared for me. You still heard my prayers. He is an awesome God. The first thing God wants to say to you if you're in the wilderness today is you've been there long enough. That's enough time. 
And now the second thing that's so important. Deuteronomy 2 verse 3. You've been wandering long enough. Turn to the north. God is saying, you're going to have to change directions. Biggest mistake I made getting ready for this message was I didn't have a graphic for you of a map of what this journey was like. But you could see it very clearly. Canaan was way up north. And they had gone around the mountain and they were going due south. And they were going away from their destiny. And God is saying, look, if you, if you want to break out, you've wandered in the wilderness long enough, you're going to have to change directions. I love speaking in the southeast because when I'm there, I love all the NASCAR vibe that's out there. Those, those southeasterners really take NASCAR seriously. They all have a driver that they love. They have, a, you know, in their wall, they have a picture of Jesus and the driver they love side by side. <laughs> and, and they all have a driver that they hate. And, and it's so interesting. What I love ribbing them about is that everything's a left turn in NASCAR. I say, well, the guy doesn't ever have to turn right. He just turns left. But here's the thing. If you're going in circles, your steering wheel is the same position all the time. And that's part of our problem. Because if you want to break out of your wilderness, you have to change directions. You can't go the same way. Now, to take that metaphor and to make it practical, here's what I'm saying. If you're, if you're wandering in the wilderness, it's because something you're thinking is wrong. And that's hard for us to embrace because we, we tend to think our thinking is right. But if you're in a wilderness, something about your thinking is wrong. And so you're going to have to change directions. You're going to have to change your thinking. I want to give you a Bible word. And if, you're, if you have a Bible background, you're going to know the word. And even if you don't, even if you're not even a God follower, but you're exploring it, chances are you'll still know this word. It's the word repent. Now, what do most of us think the word repent means? We think it means to be sorry about what we've done wrong. And that's good, but it isn't repentance. In fact, if we continue to be sorrowful about our wrongdoing and we don't accept God's forgiveness and move on, it can actually become a detriment. The word repentance comes from two Greek words that are jammed together. The first one is a prefix, meta, M-E-T-A. That's part of our language. We use the word prefix meta in a lot of our words. It means change, metabolic, uh, metastasize, metamorphosis. Meta just means change. Noia, or nous, the root word, means thinking. So when God is telling us to repent, he is telling us to change our thinking. See, we used to think we could save ourselves, but now we know Jesus can save us. And we used to trust ourselves, our religion, our good works, but we're not doing that anymore. We have changed our thinking, and we now believe in Jesus. So I want you to think about that. A change of direction is required if you're going to get out of your wilderness. Let me ask you this. Have you ever met somebody who told you what they wanted out of life and what they wanted was a good destination, but they're going the wrong direction? Back when I used to counsel, I heard this story many times. Sometimes it'd be a man, but many times it'd be a woman. It'd be a woman coming into my office telling me that her marriage was catastrophic, that she had married the jerk of all jerks. And so I would want to like do a postmortem on this and find out how it happened. And so I would say, well, how did you meet this guy? And she says, well, you know, I was looking for a guy who would love me. I was looking for a guy who would be the spiritual, a spiritual leader. I was looking for a guy who was very godly. And, and I said, well, where did you meet him? In a bar. <laughs> and I want to say, excuse me, your, direct, your destiny was good, but didn't you realize you're going in the wrong direction? Or you meet somebody, you ask them, what do you want to be in life? I want to be financially secure, but they got their credit cards all maxed out. They have a good goal, but they're not going in the right direction. And so that's what God is saying. He's saying if you're going in circles, you're going to have to change directions, but not just any change. If you're going, they were going south and the destination was north, there were still, I mean, when they quit going south, there were three other points on the compass that they could have pursued. 
But it wasn't just making a change or any change. Because have you ever heard somebody say, I just feel like I need a change in my life? I've watched a lot of people go from the frying pan to the fire on that one. God said, go north. If you were here week one, I said that before you can believe God is right, you have to understand God has a position. Well, not only does God have a position for us to believe, but he's got a direction for us to go. If you grew up in church like I did, you're probably familiar with an expression, but all of us should become familiar with it. It's called God's will. It's living our life going God's direction. And it's very important for us to listen to God, not just to change directions, but to go the direction he wants us to go in our life. I've been preaching since I was 16. And after I got through preaching, as I still do today when I travel, people will wait to ask me questions. And one of the biggest questions I've ever been asked is how can I find God's will for my life? So if you're going in circles today and you know you need a change of directions and you understand that you must ascertain God's will before you can go that right direction, how do you know the direction to go? Well, this is not a sermon on how to know God's will. Maybe we'll do one on that. But let me give you five keys to finding God's will in your life. And, and these are really good, but I'm, there's, there's an order to them. We're going to go from most important to least important. And here's the first thing. You need to identify your personal wilderness and be honest about it. If you don't know your personal wilderness, ask somebody in your life who's close to you that you can trust. But how do you know how to get out of the wilderness if you don't identify the wilderness? Number two, here's the blessing that you and I have. We have 66 books of God's Word that comprise the Bible. And there are maps out of all kinds of wildernesses here. Find your wilderness in the Bible. Do you have sex issues? That you're, you got sexual misbehavior in your life? Well, hey, there's a whole lot about that in the Bible. And there, there are maps out of it. You're struggling with finances? There are maps out of that. You're struggling with doubts and fears and anxieties? There are maps here. So look in the book. 99% of God's will for your life is right here. But suppose you're in the 1% that's not in the Bible. How do you deal with that? I don't know what your faith journey's been like, but I'll tell you what mine's been like. It's like I'm praying and I have a sense of where God wants me to go, but no doors are open. And I'll pray and I'll say, God, if this is your will for my life, why are there no doors opening? But then all of a sudden, five doors will open and they're all good. I never can figure God out. That's just amazing to me. I think he wants me to trust him. But it is in that fight when you've got good choices. So you're not choosing between good and bad. You're choosing between better and best. How do you find the answer to that? Ask. That's the third thing and the important thing. Ask for directions. Ladies all laugh at us guys because we don't want to ask for directions, right? And what happens? We tend up wandering, right, in our, in our wildernesses because we don't ask. Ask God for directions. The book of James tells us God will never get upset with us if we ask. He's glad when we do it, Okay. Here's the fourth one, and I'm making this fourth. Don't start here, but after you've done the other things, invite people into your life who are in God's will. Don't, don't invite a bunch of losers in to ask for advice, but I mean, if you know somebody who's living in God's will, talk to them, and talk to a lot of them, because the Bible says there's safety in a multitude of counselors. Number five, I'm going to leave for last for good reason, because it's the caboose and not the engine. But look at circumstances. If God is leading you in a particular direction, things will come along to corroborate that to show that, yes, indeed, that is God's will for your life. Well, we need to leave that now because we need to go to number three. What's God saying to breakouts like you and me? Number one, he's saying you've wandered around in the wilderness long enough. Number two, change directions. Here's the third thing. Look at this. This is huge. Deuteronomy 2, verse 13. Moses continued, then the Lord said to us, get moving. Take the first step in the right direction. 
You know, watching Christians through the years, one of the things I've watched is a lot of times Christians will be in a service like this, and they'll say, hmm, I've been going the wrong direction, and I'm going to change directions. And they reorient, they reposition themselves to look for God's will, but it's like they're stopped at that point as if that's all they need to do. But it's never enough. When God shows you the direction to go, you need to take that step. Take that first step. Now, I'm going to say something. I try to always preach God's word, but every once in a while, I'll give you my opinion on something that I've come to believe after following God. So you need to understand what I'm about to tell you right now is just Mark. But it is my experience personally. It's my experience following God. It's my experience watching thousands and thousands of Christians. I don't believe God will help you with the first step. Now, he will bring you to it with a lot of help. But there's something about that first step that God will he'll leave it up to you to take. And you know what? I've watched Christians pray, 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 pray. Oh, God, help me. It's like he just won't help you take that first step. And that first step, well, there's a challenge to it. And here's the thing. We're going we're to spend some time talking about taking that first step. What you're going to see is there's some challenges here, but there's some pleasant surprises. So if you're feeling the challenge of taking the first step in the right direction, let me mitigate those with some pleasant surprises. Here's the first challenge. And again, I wish you could see this on a map. They had a lot of ground to make up. Because they had not only been going the wrong direction, they'd gone a long way in the wrong direction. They're way down here south, and Cain is up here north. Well, that's a challenge. Have you ever, is there anybody here? I've been here. How many of us have been in a place where we not only went the wrong direction, we went the wrong direction for a long time, and we have a hard time turning around because it's like we've got so much ground to make up. Hey, if you need to go to Kansas City and the signs for Austin and San Antonio start popping up, it's like, oh, no, I may as well go to Corpus. No, no, no. You, know, you need to go to Kansas City, get off the off-ramp, come under the overpass, start going north. You say, but Mark, I have so much ground to make up. You know what's really cool when you, when you read this story? Man, phew, they just shot up north. Here's, here's the pleasant surprise. They went so much faster than they thought they possibly could. 38 years, they went in circles and went nowhere. When they started going the right direction, I mean, it was amazing how fast they went. One of the greatest people in my life and my closest friend outside my family is my executive, Pastor Billy Poor. And he is, we've been a great team together because Billy is often strong in areas where I'm weak, and we've just been a great team. Billy doesn't talk much. He's not real talkative. But he, he says things, and many of the things that Billy has said has stayed with me through the years. And here's my favorite Billyism. <laughs> he told me years ago, it's amazing how far you can go when you put one foot in front of the other in the right direction. And that's true. I mean, here's the thing. So many of us are like, well, it's so far away, why try? Just put one foot in front of the other going the right direction, and you'll be amazed at how far you can go. By the way, and I, this is optional, and I don't have time to put this in, but if you read the story, it's going to be very important. As they're going from the southernmost point up to the brink of Canaan, they're going to pass some people groups that they have had animosity with in the past. And every temptation would be to engage those people in a fight. But God said, leave them alone. They're from your past. Hey, listen, here's, here's what will slow you down when you start going the right direction. Is if you try to win fights that even if you won, it wouldn't make any difference. You got anybody in your life, it's like, Mark, I just got to straighten her out before I can get to my destination. Just leave her alone. Just keep rolling. I mean, you're going the right direction. Don't get engaged with stuff from the past. Okay, that's worth a sermon within itself, but I need to move on. Here's the second challenge. The second challenge in taking that first step is that the first step is always the hardest. But here is the pleasant surprise. 
There's something about taking that first step that after that, God makes the steps easy. I have a very realistic experience. It's interesting. This is the last day to sign up for the next baptism uh, here at New Spring, our watermark weekend. When I was five years old, my mom and dad talked to me about accepting Christ. And that was the right thing to do, but I wasn't the most spiritual of kids. I was playing with some toys in the living room. And dad said, Mark, come over here. I want to talk to you. So I went home and sat down dutifully and listened to my mom and dad talk to me about how to accept Christ. Now, I'm going to be honest between you and me. I just want to get back to my toys. Now, I mean, don't get me wrong. I wasn't pretending. I just I listened to them, did what I thought they were asking me to do, went back to my toys. <clears throat> my dad was a pastor. And so that was Saturday night, this Sunday. And he said, Mark, you need to be baptized. So I said, well, okay. And it wasn't a huge church like this. It was the kind of church where you had to walk all the way down the aisle to make a decision. So I went forward, five years old, and my dad prayed with me. And then after that, we went back to the baptistry. And dad, I should say baptized me, but really, you know, baptism can only happen after you get saved. It's like, you know, being baptized before you get saved is like wearing a wedding ring without being married. It's kind of cheesy. But in any event, I wasn't really baptized. I just went down dry and came up wet. But when I was eight years old on the playground in my school, I truly accepted Christ as my Savior. But now I have an issue. I'm the pastor's kid. I live in a glass house. And everybody already thinks Mark's fine. And I'm saying to myself, and it, I hate to say this, it took six years for me to deal with this. But all that time I was saying, God, you understand. That's the problem. He understands. It's like Mark Twain said, it's not the part of the Bible I don't understand that worries me. It's the part I do understand. And so I was saying, you know, God, you understand. But when I was about 14, and I'm not saying God said anything out loud, but it was like, Mark, how am I going to take you further if you won't take this first step? I'm not going to take you anywhere. You're going to wander until you take this first step. So I'm 14 years old. I'm in the church worship services. And for weeks, it's like during the invitation, when they give people a chance to go forward, I'm like, I should do something. I should do something. But I'm scared. I'm scared. I'm scared. But I'll never forget the morning that I moved. And this is, this is it's funny now. It wasn't funny at the time. I was on the end. I was sitting in the very back seats because all of us cool teenage boys sat back there. And I was on the end. And I put one foot in the aisle. And then I brought it back. And I put a foot in the aisle. And I brought it back. It's kind of like Texas two-step. But I'll never forget that moment. I put my foot in the aisle. And I took that first step. You know, I don't even remember what happened next. It was, and I'm not trying to be cute. But it was like I floated the rest of the way. And I've discovered that that's true in just about any area of following God. That first step is really hard, but God will help you with all the others if you'll take the first step. Here's the third challenge to taking the first step. They didn't know where they were going. They didn't know where their destination was. See, here's the thing. A lot of times we're reluctant to take that first step because God hasn't told us where we're going to wind up yet. But here's the thing, New Spring. Remember this. God never told them to arrive. He told them to leave. Arriving was God's business. Leaving was theirs. See, here's what's wrong with many of us who try to find God's will. We say we want God's will, but what we really want is when we accept Christ and we surrender to his will, we want God to give us a map. A map that says, okay, you're going to graduate from high school this year. You're going to meet this person. You're eventually going to marry her. You're going to go to this college. You're going to take this career track. You're going to graduate from college, and this year you're going to be hired by this firm, and then you're going to move to this firm, and then you're going to go to start your own business, and that's where you're going to live. You, by the way, do you like Phoenix okay? You're going to be living in Phoenix, and then when you're 70 years old, you're going to get to retire, and you're going to go to Boca Raton, and you're going to retire down there, and, and that's, that's your plan. And we want to like say, okay, God, I'll stamp, I'll stamp it. Do you know, if that's what you and I desire for God's will, that's a deal breaker. You know how God wants to run this thing? God wants to say, okay, you drive. 
And I'll sit in the passenger seat. And you come to an intersection. And God says, turn here. Well, where are we going? Turn here. How far am I going to be? How long am I going to be on this road? Turn here. Well, well, when will I turn next? Turn here. And then you get to another intersection. God will say, turn here. See, it's like I told you a few moments ago. I've lived a dream life. And yet almost nothing has turned out the way I thought it was going to. But everything God's done has been so much better than my plans. Hey, how many of us love Jeremiah 29, 11, where God says, I know the plans I have for you. You know what many of us hear when we hear that verse? We hear God say, I know the plans you have for yourself. But that isn't what God said. He said, I know the plans I have for you. So here's the thing. If you're willing to take care, if you just say, God, my responsibilities are leaving, it's your responsibility for me to arrive. Well, now I need to go to the fourth thing from Joshua chapter 1, verse 2. Remember, the first statement is, you've wandered in the wilderness long enough. Number two, change directions. Go my direction. Number three, get moving. And now number four, Joshua chapter 1, verse 2. The time has come for you. It's your time. It's your time. If you've been wandering in the wilderness, today is your time. Notice that it wasn't yesterday, so you haven't missed it. And it isn't tomorrow. Your time is never tomorrow. The time has come for you. This is your time, your personal time, to break out of your wilderness. You know the embarrassing little secret about wildernesses? They can become comfortable. If you're wandering in a wilderness today, you may not like it very much, but it's your wilderness. Hey, what's that saying we have about the devil you know? And you could say, well, you know, I don't want to be in the wilderness, but at least I'm comfortable. Oh, oh, what we miss. About 10 years ago, something happened to me. I was on vacation with Mary Allison, my son Stephen. He's 21 now, but he's probably 11, 12 at the time. He wanted to go to a water park, so we took him to a water park in my hometown of Fort Worth. And Mary Allison and I, you know, we're, we're old people, so we're going to the lazy river and wave pool. Stephen's going down all these huge slides and coming over and telling me about how he's going. And he kept asking me, Dad, come go down the slide with me. I said, no, I'm fine. Just let me alone. And Stephen is such a gentle soul. I don't even know how he did it, but somehow he managed to challenge my manhood. <laughs> I think he said something about the 10th truck, 10th journey over to the wave pool. I think he said something like, you don't have to be afraid. <laughs> well, that got me. So he picked out a slide, and it was one that was so high, I think, that when I looked up and at the top was shrouded by fog. <laughs> so started climbing the stairs. And all the way up these stairs, it took forever to get them up. You climb one section, you climb another section, you climb another section. And I'm thinking to myself, I can turn around and go back, but then I thought, how am I going to walk past all these little girls? And... <laughs> But I kept telling myself, Hoover, you're an idiot for doing this, but you can always go back down. But I finally came to that moment where I got to the top, and it looked like a high school girl who was running the top of the ride, and she said, sir, it's your turn. So I said, okay. So I sat down at the top of the slide, and she said, no, sir, you can't go down the slide like that. She said, you have to lie back and cross your arms. And I thought, this is what people look like in a casket. (laughs) 
So I thought, well, at least I'll be ready when they come get me. (laughs) And behind me, I heard Stephen say, Dad, I've ridden this 12 times. It's not a problem. But see, Stephen weighed about 90 pounds. So what I experienced when I rode the ride was not what Stephen experienced when he rode the ride. Because as my 200-plus pounds started going around those curves, every time I came out of one of those curves, I accelerated. (laughs) And I kept accelerating so that when I came out on the water, I hit that water like a stone skipping across. (laughs) And you know what I said when I got through with the ride? That was awesome. (laughs) And I rode it again and again and again. And again, and the little girl who said, it's your turn, finally said to me, are you back? (laughs) And that's you and me, because we wander in our wilderness. And even when we come to the place of changing directions, it's like, do I have the courage to take this step? And we get God's direction in our lives, and we get to that place of destiny. And we say, you know what? I'm going to retain a modicum of control. I'm at least going to sit down. And God says, no, I'm sorry, you can't ride the ride this way. You're going to have to lie back and cross your arms, and you're going to have to trust me. And when we do, it's the ride of a lifetime, and you're going to want to ride it again and again and again and again. It's your time. It's your turn. Let's pray. Father, thank you for letting us come here today. You know who's in a wilderness, probably all of us in some fashion. Let us fear, feel and hear your words. It's been long enough. We need to change directions, get moving, and trust you that it's our time. And now, Father, what's going to happen in the next 90 seconds, I pray that you would have your way. Listen to me, please, church. There is no wilderness like not having Christ in your life. And the Bible tells us that you can know for sure that you're forgiven and you can know for sure that you have a relationship with God because Jesus has already done what had to be done. He died on the cross for you. Three days later, he came out of the grave under his own power and he has a deal on the table for you. He said, anyone who trusts me, you know what it means to trust Jesus for salvation? It means to lie back basically and mentally cross your arms and just rest in him. Could you do that? You could. You can just let go of everything else and trust Jesus. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I'm going to pray a prayer, and if you want to, you can pray it with me. Dear God, I'm a sinner. I've wandered around a long time. But I believe you love me. I believe Jesus died to pay for my sins. I believe his blood paid for my sins. I believe he arose from the grave. And as well as I understand it, I'm just going to lie back and cross my arms and trust in Jesus. I put my whole weight on him. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed that prayer, I have a gift I want to give you. It's a packet. It's got a DVD and a book I wrote that in case you have a bunch of questions, which you probably do, it'll answer a lot of them, and a coupon for a new Bible. Just take your Talk to Us card. It's part of your breakout folder. Take your Talk to Us card and just check. I pray with Mark, and you can go right back right now, and they'll give you the packet, and you can take your first steps. God bless. Thanks for being here. It's your time.